0: The Lord be with you. <laughs> Let's pray from our closing hymn today. God of grace and God of glory, on your people pour your power. Crown your ancient church's story, bring its bud to glorious flower. Grant us wisdom, grant us courage for the facing of this hour, for the facing of this hour. Cure your children's warring madness. Bend our pride to your control. Shame our wanton, selfish gladness, rich in things and poor in soul. Grant us wisdom, grant us courage, lest we miss your kingdom's goal. Lest we miss your kingdom's goal. In the name of Jesus, amen. So today we're jumping into Luke chapter 12, on whom do you fear? And there's a a nice verse in the middle of our epistle lesson today that is right along the same theme. Uh, there's, in keeping with my with my, uh, my personal theme, what i like to do is talk about something completely different than Luke 12 for the first half hour of Bible study and then come back around. Uh, but I think it's timely. So you should know that me and, and the pastors were trying to, our goal is to have the, the divine service be one hour. Um, that's a goal. It always ends up being like a minute three, a minute five. Um, and that's without the offering so depending on how long communion is how long the sermon is how long if we had the offering it was creeping longer and longer but the idea is to uh it's something remar- remarkable to watch all of you individually will say oh I can do longer than an hour but I can see your faces collectively something happens around that hour point and you just kind of glaze you start losing so um the goal is to kind of keep you wanting more and not less. That's a nice thing to aspire toward without also just selling you short, right? So giving you just enough. So we try to keep our sermons to like 10 to 12 minutes-ish, which means there's a word count that we're kind of like limiting ourselves to, which is a harder game. It's much easier for me to just, when you you experience it every Sunday with me standing here just ranting for an hour. If you want, I can do that in, in the pulpit. But man, that's going to make the service. So it's the hard part is being concise. So I had like the first 500 words of the sermon were, were talking about the Sabbath, because that's obviously the context of today's gospel lesson in, uh, in church. And it needed to be addressed, but then I realized I could actually still make a point without, without confusing it with the Sabbath thing. And so I thought, well, I just need to unfold it for the congregation in bible class because i think the sabbath is it continues to be one of those things i know for me personally i assume for for you where it's like you don't really think about it until it comes up in the scriptures you see the sabbath and like jesus is doing stuff on the sabbath the pharisees always don't like jesus doing stuff on the sabbath it seems to be breaking the sabbath according to somebody's standards and the problem is we have a commandment that talks about the sabbath And then when we run across Jesus doing stuff that seems to be breaking the Sabbath, then it's like, okay, okay, so there's some, some laws that we can just like slough off. So why is it that we're pretty die hard about thou shalt not murder, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal. But then when it comes to the Sabbath, we're like, nah. Or, if we try to be rigorous in keeping the Sabbath, we do it in the wrong way, I would argue. For example, we, we, have, we close down our chicken restaurants on Sunday or we close down our, our frame and crafts stores on Sunday. Um, you following me? But why is, that? so the Sabbath, as it's given by our Lord, is what day of the week? Saturday. And the best day to cut your grass and play your sports and go see your neighbors, or go, sorry, go see your family, have a birthday party, you cram as much stuff into what day of the week? Saturday. Um, but then somehow we've, we've moved, we it's like, we took, we have, we have, we have a preexisting understanding of what we think the Sabbath should be, which I would contend is probably wrong. And then we just transfer it from Saturday to Sunday. And then we're like, okay, so we're supposed to be keeping the Sabbath according to some restrictions. I can't remember what they were, some kind of a, a lightened sense of work. So maybe I just won't, I won't go, I won't, I won't go work, work on Sunday unless of course my boss makes me work and then I've got to have to have to talk to people about this because then do I need pastor do I quit my job because you're trying to make me work on Sunday like is it sinful for a business owner to open their business on Sunday can you imagine the uh like in the was it the 50s 60s you just there was not everything was closed on Sunday and as you kind of move forward in history, everything starts opening on Sunday. And if you're a business owner, you have to make a decision. I'm gonna open my business on Sunday because I got to compete with the other guy. So if I'm selling vacuum cleaners and you're, everyone's going shopping on Sunday, if, if everyone agrees to not be selling vacuum cleaners on Sundays, then we all just take the day off. But if, if AJ is selling vacuum cleaners on Sundays and I'm a vacuum cleaner salesman and I don't open up, then you're all gonna to go to him. Because it's super convenient, because everybody else isn't at work on Sundays. So you can go, what should we do on Sunday? Look for vacuums at AJ's. And then I lose out all my business. How many vacuum cleaners do you buy? Not that many, not that often, hopefully, right? Me and AJ, we don't have a lot of hair in our carpet at home. So, <laughs> uh, so what's the deal with Sabbath? Well, so thinking through the Sabbath, it's healthy for us to, to talk about every now and then. So first of all, as it's given by our Lord, the the Sabbath day in the Ten Commandments, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Why? Because that's the day that the Lord rested. And we just kind of glaze over. okay, so remember the Sabbath day, and I remember it by making it holy. No, I don't make the day holy, I'm just gonna mess it up, because I'm not holy. I'm supposed to keep it holy. And so as it's given to the Lord's people and has its, as it's unfolded in the Old Testament, that, that basically set the Israelites up to have a day set aside for learning the Lord's word, going to the synagogue, going to the temple. That's the idea of this. There's limited, limited on what other things you could do except for rejoicing in the Lord's word. Obviously, you can be rejoicing the Lord's word on other days, but the people of Israel were specifically limited from working on that day. Then as we get into the New Testament, it's not just the Sabbath day, but lots of other stuff. Lots of laws from the Old Testament are no longer in play. You know, And this is actually, it's, it's helpful that we, that we talk about this every now and then because this is a classic argument made by like those who would, who would oppose traditional marriage and try to make a case for like gay marriage as a whatever, like to critique the Christian church, to say, you Christians, you're really big on saying homosexuality is sinful. But when you go look in the Old Testament, like within a verse on either side of that verse that forbids homosexuality, it talks about wearing cloth made of multiple fabrics or eating shrimp which Dominic's totally cool with not eating shrimp because he's allergic to shellfish. But some people like, we, we, what's wrong with eating shrimp? Can I not eat shrimp? And especially bacon-wrapped shrimp. That's a big no-no, right? Well, obviously we can eat pork in the New Testament. So like, okay, what, so what, what laws from the Old Testament are retained in the New? Where does the Sabbath fit in? And to, I don't expect you to have a clear working knowledge of this, but it's good to have, at least have in the back of your mind that there is an answer because it can, be, it can, it can plague you if you run, run into a debate with someone who's pushing gay marriage, let's say, or saying homosexuality is not sinful, and then they run to the Old Testament and they're using some of these examples to show you how inconsistent you are in keeping the Old Testament laws. So this is a potentially longer conversation regarding the law, but just to kind of simplify it, there were laws that were specifically given to the people of Israel in the Old Testament. So it's like social laws. All of those are fulfilled in Christ and are not given to the New Testament church. The key verse for that would be Paul's vision of the sheet coming down with all these food, what God has has made clean, don't call unclean. And so we have this transition in the New Testament from Peter not eating pork to eating pork. And it was, a, it was a terrorizing scene. I think it's in Acts, maybe 17. But then Paul recounts it in Galatians 2, when Paul talks about how he went up to, um, is it Galatia? I can't remember where he was, where he was going. Uh, and he, he was, so Paul walks into the room with some, with some like non-Jewish Christians, some Gentile Christians. And in the room, no, Paul's got the Jews with him, Jewish converts. In the room is Peter sitting down with Gentiles eating pulled pork sandwiches. And so in that, so, so Peter's there eating pork, and he's like he knows he's not supposed to be eating pork, at least according to the Jewish right, but then He got this vision from God saying he could eat pork. And so it's like you can see him kind of going through this like for the first time doing this thing that's like forbidden. And then, ah, this is actually pretty good. I'm glad I'm eating, this is wonderful. And then in that moment, Paul walks in the room with some Jews and Peter jumps up from the table as though, oh, it's not what you look like. I wasn't eating pork, which confuses everybody. So what you were eating pork a second ago, I walked in the room with these Jews and now you're acting like it's not okay? You hypocrite, right? So the the, the, uh, Gentile converts at the table sitting with Peter are confused. Now they're wondering, did I do something wrong? And the Jews who have walked in, who are still starting to wrap their minds around what is clean and what is unclean in the New Testament church. And then Peter's bringing nothing but confusion. And so Paul says famously, so I opposed i opposed peter to his face on this issue because he needed to make it clear that there are things that are clean in the new testament that were not clean in the old testament for a reason the old testament law has been fulfilled in christ and yet then as we move into the new testament we've got so the ceremonial laws are fulfilled they're they're done so you can eat pork you can eat shrimp you can wear your fabrics made out of two cloths all that kind of stuff but there are also other laws in the old testament that are not that are not ceremonial, they're not bound to a particular place, but they're just common to God's creation. And those are consistently, those, are, those come up again and again in the Old Testament, things like don't murder, don't steal. We'd say it's part of the natural law. And then they're also repeated by Jesus in the New Testament, upholding marriage, upholding personal property, don't steal, don't say mean things about your neighbor's name, don't, don't hurt their reputation. Those things are all don't have other gods. Honor the Lord's name. But the Sabbath is this one of the Ten Commandments that is not upheld in the same way in the New Testament. It's not. It's clear. I mean, if you disagree with me, that's okay. But Luther agrees with me, so I'm standing on taller shoulders than you. Uh, but he, the case that he makes is, follow this through logically. The whole point of the Sabbath, as, as as it's given by a command by the Lord to honor the Sabbath day, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Who makes things holy? Who makes things holy? Specifically, which member of the Godhead? Holy Spirit, the Holy One, the Sanctifier. How does the Holy Spirit work? Through means, specifically? God's Word. And that's why, as, this week it's not in the congregation at prayer, because as we're working through the congregation at prayer, hopefully you're able to utilize this in some way in your family. At the very least, a weekly catechism review for you, use it for that. So this week is second commandment, next week is the third commandment. But as we'll see in the third commandment, uh, the third commandment, remember Sabbath day by keeping your holy witnesses this meeting. we should fear and love God so that we go to church on Saturday and don't do anything else. It's not what it says. So fear and love God so that we do not despise preaching and his word, but hold it sacred, holy, and gladly hear and learn it. So now the Sabbath has been transformed in, our, in the New Testament church for the New Testament church as purely, it's just simply rejoicing in God's word, hearing it. Because it's the thing that makes us holy. It is holy. It doesn't need you. You're just going to mess it up. You need it. Right? So we rejoice in God's word. The commandment still condemns you. I mean, this is always Luther's big thing. The point of the law is to show us our sin. So when you deal with the Sabbath, uh, what does this mean? We should fear and love God so that we do not despise preaching in his word. Okay, well, maybe I'll say it trying not to actively despise it, but that's, it's an intentionally moving target. What is despise? How, what's it, what does it mean to despise it a little bit versus a lot? So not despise preaching in his word, but gladly hear and learn it. doesn't say hear and learn it, because that would be easy. That's an easy check. I can just hear and learn God's word. But what's brought into the commandment, and this is for the purpose of condemning us, is gladly to which we as sinners have to say how much gladly is enough some days you're probably gladly than up more gladly than others depending on if your favorite baseball team was playing the night before you're staying up watching tv you know but did it get enough rest did the kids wake up super early today right am i mad at pastor clummer because he said something offensive which he always does because he talks too much so, so if I'm mad I'm at, so I'm at pastor or I'm bored by pastor, whatever it is, like, so what's the, what's the, what's enough to keep the commandment? That's the point. You're condemned, right? So you run to Jesus. So the point of the law is to knock you down so that you run to Jesus. So, and that's a whole understanding of the Ten Commandments is essential for, in the, for the New Testament church. And the Old Testament, especially for the Pharisees, then as they've transitioned in the New, they're actually trying to keep the commandments as something that's going to make God happy or that's going to exalt themselves in the eyes of God. And so they're, they're really interested in making sure they get every, every single thing required by the law done. And if they're not doing it just so, then they're going to not exalt themselves and they're going to disappoint God. And so they're trying to make sure they get everything just so. That's why the Pharisees are big detail folks. So in today's gospel, Jesus said it's on the Sabbath. And so he's there, a guy with with dropsy, which the word for the Greek word for dropsy is just like water full, hydro something. It's translated... Uh, into our text that's just dropsy, which if you consult your medical books, it's like, I don't know, it's prob- probably what we know to be edema. Where like when your kidneys, for example, start to shut down, your body swells with water. It's not good, right? I mean, any nurse will tell you, and none of you nurses, like when the kidneys start to go, it's not good. So this guy is probably some kind of, perhaps kidney or liver disorder, and it's, he's swollen up with water. That's why, the, it's kind of, a, it's a jarring. My fir- when I first saw the bulletin picture, I was like, this is weird, but it really happened. It's a real thing. It's a real dude and Jesus really healed him. And so why, why shy away from it? Uh, Pictures teach too. So there was this real physical ailment that Jesus healed, but it was the Sabbath. And so Jesus, before he heals him in the gospel reading, he says, so one Sabbath, he went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees. They were watching him carefully. So just imagine this picture, like Jesus is there. He's invited over to a nice dinner. So it's a Sabbath. So it's either, it's, it's either Saturday, uh, Friday night after sunset or still during the day on Saturday after temple. And behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. Like out of nowhere, how does this guy just show up? The Pharisees would have thought he was unclean because no one gets these physical ailments that we can't figure out unless they are, unless they've done something wrong to make God mad, which is obviously not true, right? God causes rain to fall on the just and the unjust alike. So we don't look at physical ailments as some kind of like consequence of our sin unless it obviously is, right? So if I'm, when your liver fails because you've been drinking a bottle of bourbon every day, it's like, okay, kind of knew what you're getting into when you're polishing off all that bourbon every day. You know what I mean? Like that's, so some constant, some, some physical ailments we can see a clean line on. Others are just, why are some people born with certain physical problems? Right? Or why, so why do some people all of a sudden be perfectly healthy and die of a massive heart attack at age 35 on a jog and other people just never work out, eat terrible and leave to be a hundred. How does that happen? Why is that? So God was punishing this guy. No, that's not the case. That's the way the Pharisees were thinking about it. So this guy with edema was not invited. Somehow he just shows up, which probably because the Pharisees brought him. So it wasn't like a regular guest. The Pharisees intentionally brought this guy because Jesus has this annoying problem. Every time he sees somebody hurting, what does he want to do? Fix them. He doesn't walk past I may just point to you before, he doesn't walk past any dead person without them coming back to life. It happens a few times in the Bible, and every time every sick person, he heals them. He just can't, he can't help himself. And so they knew, okay, it's the Sabbath, let's see what he does. Well, what about the third commandment says you can't miraculously heal someone? The third commandment, remember the Sabbath day, by keeping it holy. Does that say anything about healing people? And by the way, Obviously there's not gonna be any commandment for forbidding miraculous things, right? It's not like you can't, you can't fly. That's a bad example because we actually have planes. You can't, you can't raise the dead on the Sabbath. Well, obviously there's not gonna be a commandment that forbids raising the dead on the Sabbath because no one's doing it. It's not like it's a common problem. So Jesus shows up and obviously, so this is a weird question on the face of it. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Or not? Well, of course, they probably hadn't thought that through, but there apparently was a law for the Pharisees that says you couldn't try to do any kind of healing. You can't do anything that's not up to their code. And so then Jesus gives this analogy. What if, if you've got a, it's a weird thing, if you've got a son who falls into a hole, which is like, if your son falls into the hole, you're willing to save him. Or an ox. (laughs) It's It's a weird or as you go from son to ox and not the other way around, but in any case, if your son or your ox falls in the hole, which one of you is I going to pull him out? So if you're actually, if it, even though it's the Sabbath and your son is dying in front of your eyes, are you not going to reach in and grab? Obviously you are, because the whole point of the Sabbath is to bring life. How does God bring life? Primarily through his word, which is why the Sabbath whole day was set apart for people to rejoice in God's word that's giving life. It's never, it's, the Sabbath was made for man, not man, for the Sabbath. So Sabbath comes as this gift that brings life, that brings restoration, that fixes the broken, that forgives sins, that brings healing. And that sense of the Sabbath is retained. So we don't get caught up on whether or not you can go to work on the Sabbath. By the way, in the New Testament church, why do we worship on Sundays and not Saturdays? Because college football is on Saturday. But then we have a professional football problem, right? On Sunday... But why, why do Christians worship on Sunday? Easter morning was on Sunday. And so as Acts recounts, the Christians were meeting together on the first day of the week for breaking the bread, prayer, fellowship, right? They're, they're doing church stuff on Sunday. Many times they were still also going to synagogue on Saturday, rejoicing in God's word, and, and also using that as an opportunity to engage with other Israelite people because it's, kind of, it's probably had to be kind of fun. So if you, imagine all your Jewish friends at the time of Jesus, and when the lights go on for you, the gospel, and you see it fulfilled in Jesus, you're able to kind of go around and bring that wonderful message to people who, have been, who are kind of missing it, and just seeing the light go off in people constantly. Kind of like when you take your friend to like, whenever I tell somebody about Dieta's donuts for the first time, and they haven't tried it, they don't believe me that it's the best cinnamon roll in the world. And then they actually have the cinnamon roll. They're like, this is the best cinnamon roll in the world. I say, I told you. That's how it had to be for the Jews. They see Jesus. The lights go off. And then they get to go around telling everybody who's who's not seeing it. And the lights are going off for them, over. It had to be addictive. I can't stop telling people about Jesus. If only we believed it like that, right? If only we believed it like it was true. The way we'd talk to people differently. Anyway, so... uh, so he heals them on the Sabbath, and obviously it, it makes them upset, and they continue on this trajectory of trying to trying to condemn Jesus, but Jesus is trying to expose for them and then my point in the sermon was ultimately you 're not going to keep the law you 're not going to do it good enough because you 're trying to do it you 're not going to do it right, so you're, you have to make you're either, you're either, you're either not humble enough or you 're trying to be humble and you accidentally you 're not going to be humble enough you 're going to break it by trying to be too humble and ultimately the law just It's like trying to climb up a ladder made out of dust. Just kind of shatters as you're trying to go up it, right? So you can't can't exalt yourself by the law, and that's the point. So with the Sabbath, Jesus doesn't break the Sabbath. Side note, we know on the face of it that Jesus didn't break the, the third commandment. Why? He had to be perfect, otherwise the whole thing collapses. He can't be your perfect substitute on the cross if he has sin. So he can't say, well, he, of course he can break the Sabbath, he's God. Of course he can sin, he's God. That's a theological problem. He cannot sin because he's God and he cannot be your savior if he sins. So that whole line of logic goes away. It has to be that he didn't break the Sabbath and he didn't, he just healed someone. Jesus was always keeping the Sabbath. But you have these weird things like when they're walking through the field and one of the disciples were like grabbing a head of grain and crushing it in their hand and eating it. And the Pharisees got mad that that was somehow breaking the Sabbath. Um, So I've seen different kind of people trying to bail out Jesus on that. But since when is bringing life sinful on the day when the, the whole point is bringing life? So that's the Sabbath. And you've got... It's 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 helpful to to make to just admit that right away. That we have the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandment the third commandment as it's given the Old Testament had a different sense than as it's coming to us in the New Testament church. Because we are not bound by the ceremonial law that's been fulfilled in Christ. We're just not. And that seems inconsistent and that becomes problematic if you're trying to get into heaven by keeping the law, you need to make sure you're doing it right. But if the purpose of the law is to show you your sin. Then all it needs to do is show you your sin, and that's the point. That's the point of the law in the New Testament church. So, so these inconsistent potential inconsistencies, like I alluded to earlier, regarding, like in the Old Testament regarding homosexuality, sandwiched in between eating shrimp and wearing clothes. Well, obviously, certain sins are common to the to the entire natural law. Because you have, you also have in the Old Testament stuff about not killing your neighbor. So just because it says, don't kill your neighbor next to where it says, don't eat shrimp. And now I can eat shrimp, so now I can also kill my neighbor. No, that's not how it works. So some of these laws are actually universal. Jesus didn't make anything new. He fulfilled it, and now its purpose is to show us our sin. Now That's kind of maybe potentially confusing. Um, the clearest passage on this would be in Hebrews 4, where... Um, Jesus, it lays out for us how Jesus is our Sabbath rest. It's Hebrews four, therefore, while the promise of entering his rest, that is Sabbath rest, still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but to the message they heard, or, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we have believed, we who have believed enter that rest that is a Sabbath rest, as he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall enter my rest. Although his words were finished from the foundation of the world, for he, has, for he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rests on the seventh day from all his words. And again, in this passage, he said, they shall enter my rest. On and on with them entering my rest, Jesus being the Sabbath rest that we have entered. So we as the New Testament church are resting from the law, We don't appease God by keeping the law. We've entered into the Sabbath rest as those who have been covered in Christ. For those are those for whom the law has been fulfilled, we're set free. It still shows us our sin, which is why the meaning of the third commandment that that we still learn in the small catechism. So we don't like, we don't say we have the nine commandments and we teach first, second, fourth, and we skip over. No, the third commandment still has a place. We are to rejoice in God's word, because it's the thing that makes the day holy. It's the thing that makes you holy every day. doesn't matter when, right? So it's good for us to be hearing it, and we, and we don't. In our sinful flesh, we run away from it, because we know it's, it's like our sinful flesh is running away from the thing that's trying to kill it. So we want it, we, in our sinful flesh, we like to run away from God's word, and so he's always calling us back. That was kind of complex, and I threw a lot at you. So let's, any, let's take some questions on the Sabbath. I just saved you like the first an additional seven minutes of sermon in the pulpit, but I gave it to you times four here. Sorry. Keith. Not a question per se, but Christ was man, right? Man, he felt emotions. He felt pain, right? But he was tempted. By, he was tempted by Satan. So in, in, that way, in that way, as he went through his ministry, he, was, he felt all of those Right? So, uh, his perfect, his, was his tempting, was his, him being tempted by Satan in the wilderness was his, what was God's way of showing the perfectness of Christ. Yes? Yeah, so Jesus had to be tempted like us in every way but without sin. There's some, there there might be some, there's some philosophical holes we can maybe go down there like, If he's not able to sin, because he's God, is he really tempted in the same way that we are? Well, according to my logic, that would be no, but according to the Bible, it says, yes, he is. So we say, in in some way, in the same way he's able to bring dead people back to life, he's able to be tempted in the same way we are, and yet without sin. At the very least, he endures the same temptations we endure. Oh okay. Brother, oh yeah yeah. Okay so, so we'll, stay, we'll keep it on the Sabbath. Um, so Keith has asked about why do we why does Christianity have a a, a um, inconsistent answer to this question? Is that a fair a fair way to go about it? So I can't remember which which um, which Roman Catholic decree which like which um, council it was that ultimately it's relatively recent like declared Sunday to be the Sabbath. So there's still like this attempt at keeping some kind of regulation of the day as a 24 hour period. It was just moved to Sunday, which then the Seventh-day Adventists get all worked up about. So as I said, if you, have, if you know anybody, any Seventh-day Adventist, it's, it's very common by the way, for Lutherans and Seventh-day Adventists to get along in small towns when they can't afford a church they share the same building, and they just kind of roll out. Like on Saturday is the, the, the Seventh Day Adventist worship, and then on on Sunday the Lutherans come in and kind of they kind of leech off of one another in that way. But the Seventh Day Adventists are ch- still trying to cling to that law, and and really the Seventh Day Adventists are trying to keep a lot of the law. I mean, they don't eat shrimp. They're trying to like they're trying to follow all of that Old Testament law, which has to ignore a lot of what Jesus has said in the New Testament, and and like the visions that are given to Peter and stuff. Then with any evangelicalism, you still have this attempt to try to keep the Sabbath. I would argue, I mean, to, I, I don't know the why Chick-fil-A for example, isn't closed on Sunday, is closed on Sunday, but it makes, it's great sense for an employer to say, I wanna, I wanna be closed today so I can spend time with my family because all the other days, the kids are in school, everybody's working, so today, I can focus on taking the kids to to hear God's word and rejoicing as a family, one dedicated day. And I like for my employees to do that as well. So it's super convenient when all the church, it's also convenient for us, like if half of you were working on Sunday morning We'd have to figure out an alternate way to do this. It didn't have to be Sunday morning. It's just as we continue Sunday because it was the day that Christians first started meeting. So there's a, sig- a historical significance to Sunday, but it's also just practically convenient. Saturday you cut the grass and go to soccer. Sunday you go to church. Don't cut the grass and go to soccer on Sunday morning at least. Right? So it's meant to be so it's convenient. We're all off, we can all come to church. But there's a freedom to it in that way. So for Hobby Lobby to be closed on Sunday is fine. Not, not because we can't go shopping on Sunday because it's sometimes it's nice to be able to eat a, a Chick-fil-A chicken sandwich on Sunday after church. It's really kind of fun, right? Um, but I can't do it. Why? Because those kids all needed to go to church. So it's okay to be, but there's not a law reason. That's a gospel. That's a love. So I'm not doing it to, to appease God according to a commandment. I'm doing it to help these people according to love to a different motivation there. But then you get all this confusion from the world that's trying because that, we think, imagine it from our perspective. I mean, even us, we're probably mostly still confused by this seeming inconsistency with the Sabbath. So if I'm walking in from the outside, I'm like, okay, we got the Sabbath day here. It seems to be pretty important to not take too many steps on the Sabbath based on what I've seen in Fiddler on the Roof or whatever Jewish contexts are coming out of. And then they got you drive past Chick-fil-A and it's closed on Sunday. And then Hobby Lobby's in the news because of other stuff that they're, that they're trying to stand up faithfully for. And so there's all this confusion on the, on the Sabbath. Right. So it's good for us to say freely, it's great to be closed on Sunday so that we can all be together and spend time as a family. It's just convenient, right? So, but it's not, it's not sinful to be. And so it can though become sinful. This is the fun, fun part of the law. If I'm trying to say, If I'm an employer and I say, I'm gonna gonna stay open on Sunday and make all my employees work on Sunday so that they can't go to church, I just made it sinful. It wasn't about the day, it wasn't about working, it was about intentionally trying to hurt my neighbor, which is what the law is ultimately after. Any other questions? Yes, (laughs) ma'am. Giving birth is hard work? Yeah, so I don't know, but I do know this. Giving birth on its own was make, would make a woman unclean. So like that was the whole concept of Mary having to go to the temple, the two turtle doves for her cleansing. So the, to be rendered unclean by breaking the law, that, that, would, ha- that would of course happen. And it would be the, a thing to be repented of. So I, if I gave birth on Saturday, if, I, don't, I don't know how the Leviticus or if, if it even deals with it. But if you do it, you do run into some of these obvious problems. So I don't, I don't want to diminish it because the law was clear not to work on Sunday. Then uh, this is another getting into the dancing and, and drinking stuff with like the evangelicals. If, if the commandment says to don't do one thing, like so I'll remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. So I'm not supposed to work on the Sabbath according to But it doesn't really give me a, too much more parameters than that. So then I have to step in and start coming up with parameters. What is work? So like sometimes, depending on how bad my ankles are hurting, whenever I leave something upstairs and I gotta go back upstairs and get it, where's my phone? It's upstairs. Uh, It is the Sabbath after all, I can't go get my phone because that's a lot of work (laughs) to go back upstairs. So how many, so that's how they they added to the law. These are called fences around the law. And I've mentioned this before with dancing, for example. So the, the scriptures, in fact, the scriptures get, as we, as we heard quoted by Kevin Bacon in the movie Footloose, the scriptures are full of dancing. It's great. But the, it's also interesting that like, well, I, my first date with Mandy was dancing and we got married. It, it sets one on a trajectory. Uh, but so this like depersonalize it from, but like, so the idea with dancing, like you have, you have junior high kids, I mean just come to any junior high dance, listen to the music that they're playing well-intentioned and will remove all the, the grotesque mood music or whatever. But ultimately the whole, like there's this weird thing of 14 year olds, 15 year old girls and boys dancing really close to each other. It's like, and it's starting, we're gonna get, We're starting to get, as a father of young girls, I'm like, no dancing for you. Not because God says, but because I don't trust the boys. <laughs> Stay back. Well, that's the idea. So we will make a law that says, well, no dancing, because if we don't dance, and we won't get too close to each other, we won't be tempted in certain ways. Which, I mean, it's true, it is, to be in such close proximity to the opposite sex, who's not your wife, does bring with it certain temptations. So to make that offense around the law makes logical sense, but it is not the law. It is offense. Same with drinking. Can alcohol be abused? Yes. So make a law that says, so I mean, there's a reason why you have so many, like, fights happening at bars or drunk, drunk texts. Like, so just things that are, when you say things that you shouldn't say because you've killed that little voice inside of you that says, don't say that, that's not a good idea. When you soften that voice, don't do that thing, don't say that thing, and that voice gets diminished, you say and do sinful things. You break the eighth commandment, you hurt your neighbor at the least. So then we start saying, well, maybe it would be better if we just don't have any alcohol at all. We make a law. The law doesn't say that. Ten Commandments doesn't say that, but we've made a law to try to prevent ourselves from doing silly, sinful things. So again, it's not bad practice to say, maybe I shouldn't. If I'm I'm personally given over to drink too much alcohol and hurt my neighbor, then I should set personal restraints for myself for the sake of just the love of my neighbor. But then I'm motivated by love of neighbor, not by law trying to say, I'm somehow making God happy by not having a beer or something. And so then you see they can I mean just they just changed this law in Mississippi like a couple years ago. It's always super frustrating. When we were home like when I'm home visiting family, and like my parents live far away from what would be called civilization. And so when you you go into town for church and like I don't know other rare occasions, but on Sunday it would be super convenient to be able to buy beer that we'd later hide for mom <laughs> on Sunday. But everything was closed on Sunday. But then they changed the law. Like around the time I was in college or seminary, there was this weird thing. Like it used to be there was yellow caution tape on the, on the alcohol aisle. And then that caution tape was gone. But, so look at that from the outside and think of the confusion there. So was it sinful before? And now it's not sinful anymore? Based on whose interpretation of the Bible? You Christians can't get on the same page. I'm just going to spit out the whole thing. See? So you can see the... A atheist frustration growing in the inconsistency of Christian practice regarding misunderstandings in the law. And that would be a key example of it. So like you're, when you see people at Walmart, they're like buying a case of beer, and they're looking around sneaking it up. Why? The law doesn't forbid it, but people were thinking it was a sinful thing which created a whole other layer of hypocrisy. Like a running joke among Baptists or like I can't, I, I, you've, I'm sure you've heard some of them, but so like, do you, everyone knows a Baptist who would drink like on their, in private, but then like when they're around their pastor, around others, other Baptists, they won't drink. So it's just a hypocrisy. And it's trying to keep a law that's ultimately not a law. But if, if I'm around people who I know like drinking is offensive or something, it's not, it's not helpful to be offensive, but now I'm motivated by law Alright, sorry, I'm motivated by love, not wanting to offend my neighbor versus trying to keep the law for the sake of some checklist. Is that fun? Luke, Luke 12, anyone? <laughs> 42. All right. So the, um, whom do you fear? So this would be on your front of your handout, second chunk down, whom do you fear? I started talking about this last week. And there's a nice line in the middle of the today's epistle lesson from Hebrews 13, where he says, um, so we can confidently say the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me. And that's the spirit of what Hebrews is after is the same spirit of of, uh, verse four of Luke 12, as Jesus says, I tell you, my friends, Do not fear those who kill the body and after that have nothing more that they can do. But I warn you whom to fear. Fear him who after he has killed has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten before God. Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, you are of more value than many sparrows. All right. So first thing, I tell you, my friends, so whenever Jesus starts talking to friends, he's about to say something kind of complicated or something um, that's hard to hear. And it's because Jesus is about to tell them about persecution that they're going to have to endure. I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body because they're going to, by the way, kill, kill your body, which happened to all the... Apostles, except for John, who was just sent out to Crete. Do not fear those who kill the body and after that have nothing more that they can do. So do not fear those who kill the body. So let's sit on fear for a second. What is the first commandment? You shall have no other gods. What does this mean? We should fear love and trust in God above all things and then all the commandments actually follow that same intro except for the so we should fear and love God so that we whatever if you if you recall from your small catechism and you could be if you, if you don't recall take this opportunity to refresh, refresh yourself on the uh, congregation of prayer uh, this week in the second commandment but all command so when you think about what a god is it's it is ultimately what you fear the most, and it's a really simple idea. It's my alarm going off telling me to stop talking and ask for questions. Um, what I, if, if I, anything I fear is the thing that ultimately controls me the most. The picture that I give the kids is like, I, I always picture like Sandlot, the baseball show, and the kids jumping in the backyard where there's that gigantic Mastiff or whatever it is. And then the kids are like paralyzed and they're running away from it. So the dog goes here, they go there. It's, it's controlling your actions out of fear of what it's going to do to me. And that's ultimately what a God does. Anything that controls your actions, your words, your thoughts, that thing has become your God instead of the one thing that could just smash that dog. So if ultimately I'm scared of God alone, then, then these earthly things don't concern me. I'm not telling you don't run away from the big dogs, she as a metaphor for things. So the things that, when you think about your sins, think about the kinds of sins that you, if, if, you, were, when you when, if you were to go to private confession or like during corporate confession absolution, when you're like, we have like 30 seconds or five seconds, it feels like an eternity of, think about your sin. Well, what kind of sins come to mind that you feel like having God forgive? So think about that sin. What sin are you struggling with? And why is it that you're doing that? What are you afraid of that's causing you to do that? Or what do you fear so much? What do you fear losing so much that it's causing you to say that stuff or do that stuff? What do you love so much? You love the attention of others so much that you're willing to slander other people's reputations because ultimately I wanna be held up, exalted at all costs. See, so what are, you, what are you willing to break the commandments for? That's your God. And that's ultimately what the first commandment is saying is that whatever you fear is, has become your God it has entered into that place. Then interestingly, this is where Luther also had it right, like the fear and love God so that we, all the other commandments actually line up behind your God. So if my God is money, the 10 commandments rally behind me keeping money. Like every, every like popular CSI drama ever, there's always like a murder and it's related to some Murder, uh, related to it's it it related to someone needing money, or there was some kind of adultery, there's lying wrapped up in there. All the commandments are like wrapped behind this thing. So a person was willing to kill. Well, first they, they stole to get more money and then that, that whole thing went south and so they had to kill somebody. Then they had to cover it up with lies. And then that, so their marriage is falling apart so they're having adultery. All the commandments just start falling apart or they're all standing up nice and clean behind the God of money. We'll do anything I can to keep the the God of money happy. Whatever your, I mean, money's an easy one. Jesus picks on money all the time is an easy one to tear down, but all of us, whatever the thing is that's driving you to sin, all the commandments are willing to be broken for that thing. So what the commandments are doing, the gift of the commandments is to like, shine a flashlight on what our, what our sin is, what's causing us fear, what's causing us anxiety, uh, what is the thing that's, that's, that's controlling us, that thing has become our God. And Jesus, is, Jesus likes smashing our idols and that's what he's doing in the law. So the great reminder here is don't fear those who can kill the body and after that can't do anything, but I warn you, fear the one who could kill the body and after that can cast you into hell. So, like, oh, so like, all these people can do, the worst they can do is hurt my body, which is not very pleasant, but it is quite temporary and limited in its effect, versus an eternity being cast into, as he says, hell. The word there for hell is Gehenna, which is, fun. I mean, it's a funny thing. Gehenna, in the context of the, the, the Jewish years are, are for Luke, Gehenna was just outside of Jerusalem where they would where they had like the God of Moloch back, back in like the first, second Kings times. Moloch was the God that you take your baby to, to sacrifice over the fire. And Moloch's hands were kind of open like this so the fire could get through. And it, so you take your baby and put it on the statue of Moloch under the fire and it would burn the baby down in Gehenna. That's also where you take the garbage. It's like the waste management of Jerusalem. You throw your garbage in there and it's perpetual fire and death. That's Gehenna. So that's the place where that's, he, that's ultimately what the word that's used for hell is translated. Hell is, is referring to a specific place Gehenna. So I'm going to fear. I should really be more concerned about what God thinks about me because he has the authority to cast me into hell. Now that's a scary picture. So if I need to finish because <laughs> church is starting soon. So I'm going to pick up here next week, but really quick, so, lead, so I'll send you out on a fearful voice of law. Because we do teach the kids to sing, Jesus loves me, this I know. So Jesus loves me, but also fear him because he can send you to hell. Like this, we don't have that little line in Jesus loves me that we teach our children. Because the idea is I should fear nothing else in this world except for God alone because he has eternal power over my soul. But when I fear God, when my fear is rightly placed in the true God, I actually need not fear him. Because when you look at this God, He's got holes in his hands and he's opening his arms to hug me. He's a merciful, loving God who wants to, who's died for me, who wants to save me. That's the God who then tells me, don't fear. So don't fear anything in this world because it's becoming your God when you do. Instead, fear him alone because he has authority to send you to hell. But when you have that right, right placed fear, you actually don't need to fear him at all. Because he's not interested in sending you to hell. He's interested in dying for you, for dying for sinners. Any quick questions on that? We'll pick up there, well, oh, basically exactly where we picked up today, unless I come up with other things to talk about next week. So, so what are you just saying? Don't fear the reaper. Just <laughs> don't, yeah, Keith wants to send us out with don't fear the reaper. no, 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 no. The Lord be with you.